Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John in chapter 10. John chapter 10. Last week we began uh, a series of studies called Listen, and this is about uh, learning to discern the voice of the Lord, learning to understand uh, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and then being very, very passionate about obeying Him. Now, being able to know when the Lord is speaking is very important because the devil is very deceptive, and the devil is very tricky, and we know that because the Bible tells us that, we know that from our own experience, and he is increasingly uh, manipulating our culture to dissuade people from the truth. I hope we're seeing that. I hope we're watching that, not because that should be an encouragement, but because it needs to put us on guard and cause us to stand even more firmly. Um, he has been very effective in this. I hate to ever give him any credit, and I'm not, but he's been very effective because the world is openly rejecting absolutes. The world is openly rejecting uh, moral truth. And in its place, uh, subjectivity and personal opinion have become the standard. Anybody who has any opinion about anything and can blog about it or write about it or talk about it uh, has to be right. Biblical teaching has been denounced as intolerant and, and uh, critical and narrow and uh, really restrictive, even within a growing portion of the evangelical church. And that's what's so depressing as a pastor to watch other pastors and other churches um, move away from the truth and compromise the truth. Now, adding to that, as we said last week in our study, and some of you may not have been here, are four factors that are competing for our attention. Four things that the enemy is throwing at us that are trying to move us away from biblical truth and move us away from trusting the Lord. Uh, one is the demand of self, that self is very, um, very harsh and very demanding in terms of what it wants, uh, and it's not ever content um, because it always wants more. Second is the information overload, all the, all the barrage of information that we're getting from our culture. The third is the redefinition of truth, which we just alluded to. And then fourth is the constant temptation of sin. So all this is playing in together. All of these things are happening at once. And as believers, then we have to learn how to recognize the Spirit's voice. We have to learn to recognize when God is talking and be able to differentiate his voice from the deception of the enemy because the enemy doesn't play fair. He's constantly lying, constantly deceiving, constantly accusing, and he will even impersonate God to try to confuse us if that's what's required. So it's not like the sides are fair and the devil's playing his way and God's doing his thing. The devil's going to do anything he can to manipulate, lie, accuse, change, truth, anything he can to try to deceive us. So we have to be so aware and so cognizant of how God is working. Now, all of those factors make uh, us wish sometimes that we could just have the Lord directly speaking to us, right? Like you did in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You ever been jealous of people in the Bible because God spoke directly to them? How many of you this week would have liked a little handwriting on the wall to just let you know exactly what you needed to do? I mean, come on, that would have been nice, right? I mean, I believe in prayer and the Bible, but a little handwriting wouldn't have been a bad thing. 
Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I need direction. So if you could just write that on the wall. Remember, though, that the time there was handwriting on the wall, the guy was being told he was going to die. So you don't necessarily want handwriting on the wall. But, but we crave that tangibility. And it's frustrating sometimes, I think, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, that we don't have the advantage, so, so to speak, of the Lord speaking directly to us. But as I was pondering that this week, I thought, well, actually, we do have an advantage. One of the cool truths that I, I really want us to see this morning is that we actually have more direct communication from the Lord than people in the Old Testament and the New Testament had. Now, stop and think about that for a minute, because that's a powerful truth. We have more information and more communication than people who God spoke directly to audibly had in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yes, it's true, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. It's true that Moses met him on Sinai. We know that in the Old Testament tabernacle that God's presence would come down and fill the place. The people could see it. They could see the cloud coming down and filling the holy place of the tabernacle. And they all worshipped during that time. And it's clear that the prophets heard the word of the Lord, that God spoke to them and told them what to do. And we know that Jesus walked personally with the disciples. In fact, in John 10, this text this morning, uh, he's standing before them, he's teaching them, he's talking to them and to some of the Jews who are opposing him uh, very violently, and they're in Jerusalem, they're at the temple. So Jesus speaks, and Jesus was present right with him. And let's look at what he says here in John chapter 10, because this is going to be kind of our, our base text for the morning. At the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's names, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and there will be, they will never perish. And it, excuse me, and no one will um, snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than them all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, wouldn't it have been awesome to be standing there listening to Jesus speak in the temple? At the same time, it would have been a little frightening that people were so opposed to him, so violently against him, so much wanting him to go away, that they were ready to stone him. In the next verse that we didn't read, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So there was, there was a, 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 a strong, visceral reaction against Jesus as he said these words. But what he says in verse 30, I and the Father are one, which was why they were so angry, because he was equating himself with God, and to them, because they didn't understand in their hearts that he really was God in flesh, that was blasphemy. So they said, well, you blaspheme, you're standing here in the temple, you claim to be God, we have to kill you. But what we can't miss here in verse 30 is that Jesus is declaring himself to be God. So if you believed in him... At that time, you were literally standing there saying, this is God, this is the Holy One standing in front of me speaking. This is the voice of God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but, but my, my heart says that would be better than anything we have today. For Jesus to stand here this morning before us and do the speaking, and I'll gladly sit down, okay? That for Jesus to stand here, we would go, that would be the epitome that, that he would come and talk to us. But here's the awesome reality. We have more than that crowd did. We have more than that crowd did, and that's because of two amazing facts. Number one, the Holy Spirit communicates to us through His completed Word. The people in the Old Testament and the people in the New Testament did not have this. Do you know what an awesome privilege it is to hold this book in our hands today? Do you know that people have died? People have sacrificed. I I visited a museum in Orlando. If you ever get a chance, go to the the, um, Bible experience, I think it's called, Holy Land Experience in Orlando. Go to Disney one day, but go to the Holy Land Experience another day. They have a place there that is called the Scriptorium. And in the scriptorium, it's like 22 rooms of, that depict how the Bible got from, uh, from biblical times to today. And there's one room where they've got a book, and the book is stained with blood. And the person that was translating that and defending that literally was killed over their Bible. People have died for this book. And we're like, oh, do I have my Bible? I'll just grab one off the shelf. No, this is a holy book. People in the Old Testament and New Testament did not have the privilege of this. And the Bible gives us the ability to see the full revelation of God, to see the history and the teaching and the constant message of God's grace. And it gives us a thorough perspective that that these people never had. And it makes it profitable for building up our faith and giving us conviction and training us and teaching us and strengthening us how to live. The Bible's clear and it is very uh, tangible because the Spirit says, this is my inspired word. You never have to doubt its credibility or its importance. It has clear application for our lives. So the advantage that we have over the people we're reading about here in John 10 is we have this and they didn't. Now add to that the fact that the Holy Spirit communicates to us in addition to what is here. He speaks to our heart and our mind because He indwells in us. And by indwelling us, He uses conviction and exhortation and encouragement to speak directly into our lives. Now, that's not some crazy theology. You're not like, wow, I came to Harbor Rock this morning and there's all kind of crazy theology about how the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. And that's what... No, He is a spirit and we're spiritual beings. We, we think so much about this, right? About our body, and we're kind of going through the day, and I need to lose weight, and I need to eat better, and I need to work harder, I need to sleep more. We're, we're all about the physical, but we are spiritual beings. When you die, that's not it. Your spirit either goes to heaven or to hell. So the Spirit of God, who is a spirit, speaks to our spirit. He speaks to us in spiritual terms. And because he's the Spirit of God, he's not any less sufficient or any less equipped than the Father or the Son. He's equal. They're one. I don't understand it, but it's true. Jesus says, when I leave, it's actually going to be better for you. How could that be? He's walking with them every day. But he says to the disciples, listen, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And do we believe that or not? 
Because if we believe that, we can't be jealous of the disciples and say, boy, I wish this morning Jesus would come and that Rhodes guy would sit down and Jesus would just speak. And listen, I do too, okay? But it's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And then we have on top of that his full revelation. So we have it better than they did. Now that raises a very important question. How do we know when the Lord's speaking to us? And how can we be certain that it's Him? Because if we can really learn to discern the voice of God, if we can really understand at all times God is speaking, we will have greater confidence in our faith, we'll have more power to recognize and resist temptation, we'll have greater boldness in our witness, because we'll hear the Spirit saying, go talk to them. And we'll have a stronger understanding of God's will and God's leading. Now, I don't know about you, but I want those things. I want those things. I want a greater understanding when sin is coming and tempting me. I want more power to resist it. I want more understanding of God's will and God's direction and God's leading. I want greater boldness in my witness. So to get those things, we have to understand the voice of the Lord. So this morning, and I want you to take some notes, okay? You guys see some of you doing that, but I want more of you to do it. Not because it's my words, but because we got to remember these things, okay? So just grab a pen. There's space in the bulletin. Just, if you not, write nothing else down, just write these things, uh, these six things that I'm going to give you. Let's, let's establish six distinct qualities that will give us confidence to know the Lord's speaking to us. And I'll go through these quickly. Six distinct qualities that tell us this is the Lord speaking. Okay, number one, the first is to know that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us. He's called the Spirit of Christ. So hearing from Him is every bit as good as having Jesus talk directly to us. It's just less audible. We love tangible. We love to know exactly what's going on. But we walk by faith, not by sight. How many say amen to that? We walk by faith. So just because Jesus isn't here speaking directly to us, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not speaking to us. So we have to move past the craving for audible language, even though we've got 66 books that are audible to us. We've got to move past that craving, and we've got to understand that we hear by faith. Jesus himself says in verse 27 that it doesn't matter whether it's audible or not, because he says, look at the verse, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now what does that mean? That means that we need to be mature in our faith so we will be able to hear and obey. Because baby sheep will run after anything. And if you've ever seen sheep, you've ever seen goats, you know that, that that's their propensity. Well, that's the point Jesus is making here spiritually. He says, my sheep will hear my voice and they'll follow me. But if you're not my sheep or you're a baby sheep and you're just kind of into your own thing, you're not going to recognize. He even equates it back to the spiritual leaders here. He says, you guys don't even know who you're talking to. You're coming to me and saying, all right, come on, tell us. Once and for all, are you really the Christ? I think I've already proven myself. I've already shown myself. And as soon as I say in five verses that I am the Father of one, you're not going to lay down and worship me. You're going to try to stone me. So you don't really want to hear who I am. See, they didn't want 
to recognize him. They didn't want to follow him. And if we are immature, if we are not walking with the Lord every day, we won't be able to recognize his voice. We'll be, we'll be distracted and doing our own thing and wandering around and jumping all over the place. And, oh, he's going over there, so I'll go over there. And he's going over here, I'll go over here. We won't have any sense of direction. And we won't be able to obey what he calls us to. And the enemy will come along and he will try to fool us because he's cunning and he disguises himself. And we won't have the spiritual discernment to recognize the deception. So we've got to start this morning by recognizing that the Holy Spirit's work is not static. He is using his word and his indwelling presence to teach us and to guide us. But we have to be mature enough to recognize it and to hear his voice. Because Jesus said, my sheep know me, hear me, and follow me. They don't run around willy-nilly, do whatever they want, whatever they think is right. Okay? Second. Second quality is an extension of the first. Another way we can be sure that it's the Lord speaking to us is that he never contradicts his own word. Turn back after you write that down to Luke chapter 4 for a moment. Luke chapter 4. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and he will never contradict his own word. Now in Luke chapter 4, the devil is tempting Jesus and he has the audacity, the audacity to use scripture as a means of trying to tempt Jesus. He goes through the first two temptations. He tries to get Jesus to yield to him, make bread, and, and fall down before me, and here are the kingdoms, and if you'll just worship me. And then we get to verse 9 of chapter 4 of the book of Luke. And he led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their, excuse me, I'm having trouble seeing. On their hands, they will, what's the next word? Bear you up, thank you. i got to get different glasses. So you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here's what the devil does. He quotes Psalm 91 in an attempt to convince Jesus that he should get the Father to fulfill his word, based on Psalm 91, by forcing his hand. Jesus, jump off the pinnacle of the temple, because if you do that, the Father has said in Psalm 91 that he'll give his angels charge over you to bear you up, and you won't hit your foot on a stone. You'll be perfectly fine. The trap here is that he's saying to Jesus test the Father. And if Jesus tests the Father, that will be disobedient. And if Jesus disobeys, that's to negate his ability to ever go to the cross as the perfect sacrificial lamb. So he is trying to get Jesus into a trap to disobey God. But he's doing it by using Scripture. Now that's how brash and unashamed the enemy is. In, in trying to undermine the Bible and trying to reduce its influence in our lives and in our uh, conviction. If he's not intimidated by the Son of God, who's called the Word of God in flesh, if he's not intimidated by the Son of God and will say, I'm going to use Scripture to try to trap you, do you think he's scared of you and me? 
You, you think he can't twist scripture to try to, to try to attack us and to try to co- uh, contort and pervert the word of God? How many know that means we need to be students of the word? I mean, come on now, we've got to be students of the word, not just read it occasionally, not just be kind of familiar with it. Well, I know some verses and no, we have to study it. We have to know it. We have to memorize it. We need to keep talking about it with other people so that our minds will be trained to recognize when it is being misused. If I ever say something that's theologically incorrect here, you need to be able to stand up and go, that's not right. Now, let's do that with a good attitude. But imagine if I said something this morning that contradicts Scripture. That that really you said, wait a second, I know that verse in Romans, that is not right. We need to be astute enough and students of the words enough to be able to know that. And then as we do that, as we study this, the Holy Spirit reinforces our confidence because he will never contradict his own word. If if you're having a difficult decision, you've got to make a decision about something, or you're seeking the leading of the Lord, as you study and as you pray and as you seek counsel and as you listen to the Spirit, understand that he will never, ever ever go against what the Bible says. Not one inch. If you're hearing a message in your head and your conscience that is contradicting Scripture, that cannot be from the Holy Spirit. It can't. If you hear counsel from somebody and and you've sought that and it goes against what the Bible says, you need to reject it because it is not from the Spirit. So we need to know the scripture very well so that we can discern and instantly either reject the enemy's distortion or find confidence in the Holy Spirit because he's affirming the word of God. The devil will never affirm the word of God. He hates the word of God. So he will never give you counsel that will align with the word and the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. Number three, his message will always be truthful. His message will always be truthful. And here's the second part of the sentence. Even if it may be painful or convicting to us personally. The Holy Spirit, as he speaks to us, will always be truthful, even if it's painful or convicting to us. Now, this is the one part of of hearing the voice of the Lord that causes us to not want to listen as closely. Because doing so is going to create a spiritual confrontation about things that we may be trying to hide. I believe this is why the American church has softened the word of God or even stopped utilizing it to teach the whole counsel of God. I read an article this week about a very well-known pastor who's on television who doesn't use the word sin when he preaches, but he talks about habits and dysfunctions and, and thoughts that aren't positive. But, but he always ends with the goodness of God is free, but he doesn't talk about the cost to Christ or the sacrifice to, to self. And a co-worker was writing an article defending him, and he said that this pastor's, quote, 27-minute messages are skillfully laced with an average of a dozen or so scripture references. But he's also concluded that, quote, multiple references to verses and books in the Bible can be intimidating to the percentage of unbelievers in the TV audience. And immediately as I read that, the verse in Romans came to mind, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. If unbelievers are going to come to Christ, if you're an unsaved person this morning, you walked in here and you don't trust in Jesus Christ, 
you coming to Christ will not come by us avoiding the word of God. You coming to Christ will come because of the word of God. Not because of me. I'm a, a, a human who's, who's incomplete. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We do a disservice to people if we do not give them the word of God. And I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm talking about us. We have to know the word so we can communicate the word. But, but there's a reason why so many churches are shying away from that. One is that they've been told that preaching the word is not conducive to church growth. If you want your church to grow, then make it as easy as possible. That's being told in conferences. And the second reason is that if we really listen to all the word says and we live by it, there is no question that we're going to have to radically change how we live. Let me say that again. If we're going to really listen to the word of God and live by it, we're going to have to radically change the way we live. Denying ourselves daily to be like Christ isn't just some nice spiritual concept that we throw around. It is God's expectation of his children. And when we see in Philippians 2 that Jesus laid aside all his rights to be obedient, to go to the cross, it's a little bit harder for me to defend my selfishness and my worldliness. Because he says, deny yourself, but the next line is, take up your cross. See, Jesus didn't just come down and say, it's okay, guys, it's all right. Listen, I know sin's hard. You guys are human and the devil's really nasty. So listen, everybody's absolved. It's good. I don't have to do anything. I'm God. I'm God. I can declare whatever I want. So I'm declaring it's okay. Did Jesus do that? He went to the cross. He was beaten and whipped and tortured and spit on. And he took my sins and your sins. And he went to the cross. And he suffered and he died. And then he rose again. And he defeated sin. Now he says to me, Rhodes, take up your cross. That means I can't just do whatever I want. That means my life is different. We love the grace, but we don't love the sacrifice. But that's not how it works. And we have to trust that when he says take up your cross daily, that he's the one that actually went to the cross. He's the one that actually did the sacrifice. And he's the one that allows us to live in that freedom. So our cross and our yoke is far easier than it should have been. And that leads us to the fourth thought. The Lord will usually remind us, and I'd almost say always, but let me just say usually. The Lord will usually remind us of his past faithfulness, his present provision, and his future promises. When the Lord speaks to us, he will remind us of his past provision, his uh, past, uh, past faithfulness, his present provision, and his future promises. There has never been a moment when God has been unfaithful. There has never been a moment when God has not done above all that we ask or think, and there never will be. I'm so glad we sang Great is Thy Faithfulness this morning. How many know the faithfulness of God is great? How, how many, I mean, come on now, let's affirm that. Is the faithfulness of God great? We have experienced God's faithfulness in a way that has literally changed our lives for eternity. And every day we see a fresh expression of it because his nurse mercy is new every morning. 
So the enemy is going to try to create doubt and try to create distrust in God's provision. But we're not going to believe those lies because we know better. You having a problem with this? Make a list of all that God has done to be faithful to you in the last year. And start with redeeming you of sin. Start with forgiving you every day. Start with his patience and his loving kindness and his mercy and his care and his coverage and his protection and his provision. Just start making a list and then say, well, on April 23rd, God did that and he answered that prayer and he healed me of that and he provided calm. Just start making a list. Some of you have done that. You've come to me and said, I made that list and it is so powerful. 40 years I've been saved. How many times has God been merciful? How many times has God been faithful? I couldn't even begin to count it. I couldn't even begin to count it in the last week. Great is his faithfulness. And he will remind us of that faithfulness and his provision. Number five, this one's the most challenging. We can discern that the voice of the Lord, it's the voice of the Lord, because his leading will always stretch our faith. His leading will always stretch our faith. God wants our faith to be strengthened and to be built up. So to do that, he exercises it by giving us a workout. John Corvalin and I were talking the other night, and he was telling me about the new gym that he's going to, and he said, Paul, the workout routine is insane. I think that was the word you used, John. Close to that. He said it's constant movement. You really don't get a break. You go from one station to the next to the next to the next, and, and you literally go until you have nothing left. You can't work out anymore because you're so spent. And, and I know John knows that right, and he had a smile on his face when he was talking to me about it, but I'm sure he doesn't look forward to it every single morning that he goes. I'm sure he doesn't get up and go, I can't wait to work out until I'm sweaty and can't move. And yet, he knows, and he's seeing results that his body's getting stronger and that he's getting more built up. Now, the spiritual principle is the same. To be built up in our faith and be built up in our maturity, to become more like Jesus Christ, we have to exercise our faith. And if we're not willing to work out on our own, and if we are, or if we're taking it too easy and not seeing enough progress then here's what the Lord does. He says, I'm going to exercise your faith. I'm going to be your spiritual, personal trainer. And my goal is to build you up and strengthen you in your faith because I can't lead you and I can't use you if your faith is stagnant. Now, while this is going on, the enemy is saying, come on, take the path of least resistance. You're tired. You've worked so hard, you, you, you serve the Lord, your faith is stretched all the time. How, how much is God going to demand of you? And then he tries to appeal to us in a couple areas. He says, sin would make you happy. Fulfilling yourself would, would be real happy. But he knows we're kind of on to him about that one. And we should be able to recognize temptation at this point. So then he comes to another couple of things. He says, well, all right, if you don't want to sin, I get that. You're a Christian and all that. But, but you really should focus on the now. 
This is the antithesis of faith. Focus on the now. And while you're focusing on the now, have some fear and anxiety about it because that will really help. And, and, and your circumstances, wow, I know God says he's going to help you, but I don't think you can trust him because right now you've got a lot going on and you need to be very fearful. And while you're doing that, you really should focus on the material and, and stop laying up treasures in heaven. Come on, you can't see that. You don't even know if that's going to be true. Just live for the now. That's not the exercise of faith. That's not what God's trying to do. So as the Lord sees us being tempted and attacked like that, and as he sees us veering toward the path of least resistance, he says, nope, got to exercise your faith. I'm going to give you a workout. Sometimes that's a trial. James says the trying of our faith is important because it makes us complete. It makes us more like Christ. Sometimes it's to stretch our faith and ask us to believe in something that we can't see and and to trust in the Lord with all that we have and to be on our faces in prayer, crying out to Him and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. Why is this happening? What should I do next? Lord, I beg you for your response. Don't you think heaven's pleased by that rather than us saying, I don't need the Lord. I don't need to pray today. I I got it covered. Which does the Lord love more? Us on our faces saying, please, Lord, help us. Or us saying, I'm fine. He exercises our faith. And that leads to the sixth and last quality. Because as we become more like Christ, people will be drawn to him through us. So we need to know it's his voice and it's his leading because it will glorify him. The last way we know that it's the voice of God is that it will glorify him. Now, our human nature is to pursue whatever it takes to get us attention and credit. And that's many times more subtle than we would know, more subtle than we would even recognize. But the devil is always pushing us to magnify ourselves. Because if we magnify ourselves, we're not magnifying the Lord. And if we're not magnifying the Lord, then the devil is getting the magnification. So he doesn't want us to stand and praise him and raise our hands. He doesn't want us to meet together for prayer and to call on his name. He doesn't want us to serve him. He doesn't want us in the word. He doesn't want us fellowshipping, talking about him. He doesn't want us witnessing. He doesn't want any of that because when we do that, it glorifies God, and that's not good for him. So when the Lord speaks to us, it is to bring him glory. We are called to be the children of God. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're secured and sealed by his Holy Spirit. We are who we are this morning only because of the grace of God. And we don't deserve it and we don't earn it. That's why it's grace. I am only standing before you this morning... Because of God's grace. If God doesn't deliver me from my sin in 1974, I'm not in this room today. There's no reason. You are worshiping the Lord this morning because of his grace. There's absolutely nothing we can claim to have done to deserve any credit. Even the gifts we have, even the experience we have, even the money we have, it's all from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. 
So if you're successful in business, that's because God's blessed you. If you have good health, that's because God's blessed you. If you have experience in ministry, that's because God's enabled you. If you have spiritual gifts coming out the walls, that's because God gave them to you. So shouldn't it make sense that he alone would get the glory? Shouldn't it make sense that he not only deserves the glory of God uh, as God, but he also is owed it by us as an expression of our worship and our gratitude? And what seems difficult to us, because it's always hard to give somebody else credit, right? What, what seems difficult to us because of the demands of our pride, well, notice me, see me, give me credit. What, what seems difficult becomes so much easier as we mature in our faith because as we grow older in our faith, we recognize more and more how much it's because of the Lord. It's like a new believer. When they first get saved, it's like, wow, wait a second. You mean I'm forgiven? Have you ever been a new believer and they're just like, I want to do everything. Everything for God. Well, you know what? As we grow older in our faith, as we mature in our faith, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm worn out. I can't do any more. I've served for 30, 40 years. I am exhausted. Let the, new, let the younger people do it. As we grow older in our faith, you know what we should be like? We should be like the new believer. I'm ready to do anything. Because look at what God's done. And the more I go along in my faith, the more I realize what a moron I am and how great God is. And oh, he's so merciful and he's so great and he answers prayers and he provides and he protects and he helps. Oh, I just want to serve him every day. Do you know how few believers finish well? Do you know how few believers get to the end and say, I've served the Lord faithfully and joyfully until the day he takes me home. Oh, church, we've got to be that. We've got to be that. Instead of shying away from him when he speaks and not giving him the credit he deserves, we have to desire in our hearts to bring him more glory and more honor and more praise. Every Sunday when we meet, our worship should be stronger and more passionate and more holy. When we gather to pray every week, we should cry out to God with a fervency and with a love and a determination. And as we serve, we should be serving faithfully and joyfully and, and confidently because he deserves the glory. You and I would be nothing without Christ this morning. There would be no hope, no joy, no confidence, no contentment, nothing. But because we are redeemed, and he is working faithfully to complete in us what he's already started, and because the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us, and we can hear his voice and follow him, as we do that, that hope and that joy and that confidence and that love and that contentment will increase exponentially. The people in the Old Testament and the New Testament have nothing on us. We have the presence of God, we have the Word of God, and we have His voice talking to us. And the question is, are you listening? And when He speaks... Are you obeying?